Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome back to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. And with me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Uh, today, we're going to start by talking about Amazon's new headquarters, and then we're going to turn to kind of the lack of telecom palooza. But Chris had a working vacation up in Maine. We've been off for a couple weeks, so it is great to be back. Let's dive into Amazon's new headquarters. Late last week, Amazon announced that they're looking for a second headquarters and they're calling it HQ2. They're they're very clear in all their PR. This is going to be fully equal to HQ1. Their current HQ is, of course, in Seattle. They put out a really detailed press release announcing it. They said, hey, we're going to invest $5 billion into the headquarters. We're going to have 50,000 high-paying jobs that will pay over $100,000 per year. We're going to do an RFP. Any city in kind of North America can bid on it. And I'm sure it's just going to be a fierce bidding process. So Chris, I've got a lot of different angles I want to cover here, but I'll turn it over to you. What do you think of Amazon's news? And at the end, of course, I want to speculate, where do you think their second headquarters will be built? I'm a huge fan of Jeff Bezos and Amazon, and I think it is a very shrewd move. I think they kind of diversify away from Seattle. I think that when you have this mammoth relationship with a specific metropolitan area, you're kind of at each other's mercies in some way. I think they were getting a little pushed around on some policy stuff, and I think this is going to put Jeff Bezos where he likes to be, just in the kind of prime seat in terms of leverage. Yeah, it was interesting to me. uh, Some of the press and the follow-on that came out was, A, Amazon's clearly worried that Seattle can't handle their growth anymore. But B, it was almost like Seattle, I I think there was even a quote or two that unnamed sources said, Seattle doesn't appreciate Amazon anymore. Like Amazon's invested so much money in Seattle. They're responsible for 20% of their prime real estate, which I heard was the biggest kind of company to city prime real estate ratio in America. And Seattle politicians are kind of starting to go after Amazon, all that sort of stuff. So I just, I couldn't believe that Seattle wouldn't appreciate Amazon and having like kind of the biggest and best growth company in the world in your backyard. It feels like you do everything you could to keep them there. Also, a good uh, city planner would look at Amazon as being kind of the perfectly planned company, not just in profits, but in terms of their environmental impact. They're very thoughtful, intentional people about how they deal with commutes, employee relationships and so forth. They could be a really good fit for the right city. Yeah. So as uh, we said earlier, the bidding war for this is going to be incredible. You know, the the size of this is ridiculous. There was, I saw one really interesting quote, a consultant who worked on Boeing's $8.7 billion tax package to build jets in the state of Washington in 2013, which is the largest incentive package to date. They were just saying, hey, Amazon's going to get at least that, probably more. So you think, you start thinking about all those tax incentives, it is going to be Mammoth, And it was interesting how they described all this because I think some was also in reaction to the administration in that it was a little mm-hmm. grandiose. You know, they kind of described how much money they're putting in over the next 15 to 17 years. Yeah. And so they really were working on getting some big numbers, but... The numbers are probably real. Yeah. So look, politically, this has to be great for them. Trump, even as recently as a month ago, he was saying Amazon, they don't pay taxes. They're killing the local mom and pop. This is the, exactly the type of thing he wants to see. 50,000 high paying good jobs. I, I do think it's interesting. I'll kind of flip it over to you for this. The bidding war is going to be fierce, but is it going to be good for the city that actually gets it? I I think that's going to be a really interesting question. You know, in these trophy processes where every municipality is vying for the same trophy, somebody usually overpays. You know, you look at the history, for example, this is going to be like the 
city that gets the Olympics. Yeah. By the time they finally get it, they often regret it. Yeah, and, and it's also interesting, like, Foxconn, Wisconsin, you look at that deal, and everybody who kind of did the economics on it, Foxconn promised some things, and Wisconsin gave them, I think it was $3 billion in subsidies, and everybody who did the economics on it said, Wisconsin is paying way too much for what Foxconn's doing, and Foxconn's promise was almost flimsy, where they could kind of pull back pretty quickly if they had to. You just look at this, and this is the ex- this is the definition of perverse incentives. If you're a politician, you get up there, you can announce 50,000 high-paying jobs coming, you get a big PR conference with Jeff Bay and you know you kind of get a national name for yourself and you're dealing with other people's money it is it's such a perverse incentive i'm sure whoever does end up getting this i don't know if they'll regret it but i'm certain they'll overpay for it and amazon will get the best deal of them they will it's kind of a time rise and arbitrage between a company looking at 25 years and a politician who's probably looking at 25 months at most exactly so let's speculate a little bit you know amazon they really clearly laid out what they're looking for they've got a website devoted to cities can put their rf P's in there. Who do you think the front runners is? What do you think the most important criteria for Amazon are? I think that it's going to be really two things, and one we can kind of see and speculate on more easily than the other. And the first is that the cultural aspects of Seattle-like progressive, I think, is going to be harder for a city to flip on than some of the other uh, characteristics that, frankly, they could build. You know, building out in terms of the telecom infrastructure and some other things. So you're going to look at the really objective infrastructure issues. You're going to look at a progressive. So I'm thinking of one of the cities in the South where, uh, you know, maybe not today is being this unusual, but even 10 or 20 years ago had uh, the cities. It's going to be a city that flies both gay pride and Confederate flags in the same city. And uh, in North Carolina, that would be Charlotte. In Texas, that would be Austin. Yeah, I I thought Austin and Atlanta made tons of sense. You know, I think like you're saying, the infrastructure can be built. The difficult thing is going to be kind of having a city that can attract the young, driven, upwardly mobile talent that Amazon needs. You know, they need engineers to want to go where they want to go. And if you, you know, you locate in a small town in Virginia, people might, they probably don't want to go there. They want to be in Seattle. They want to be in LA. I think Austin and Atlanta would make tons of sense. The one wild card I've heard people throw out there is Detroit, which is interesting to me because I think politically they could score a lot of points. I'm Mm -hmm. sure Detroit would custom build just about anything to kind of revitalize what's there. But I don't know if engineers would really want to go to Detroit. So I I don't know what you think about that. The people who Amazon hires, they're the people who shop at Amazon's Whole Foods. They're the people who would be the kind of, they're a high-end demography and Detroit could be competitive if they just hand the keys over to Bezos, if they just send a blank RFP and say, we'll do anything. Yeah, yeah. But we'll even, name it Bezosville. Yeah, I, I think they're interesting, but I just think Austin, Atlanta, maybe Denver, a couple of these other places just have too much of a cultural yeah. advantage. Uh, Austin is, I think, as good as you're going to get culturally yeah. for a state. And it's the one-two punch of it is very progressive, attractive to the kind of people who would also like Seattle. At the same time, it's a great state in terms of the business climate. Whole Foods is already there. And so it could be a good real estate opportunity for anybody who has the uh, office space around their new headquarters there. Cool. So let's turn over to Telecom Palooza. Oh, can, can I go ahead? throw one last yeah, yeah. little thought? Sorry. I, I thought it really jumped out that they're looking for North America and not just the U.S. Oh, um, yeah. That really came. I think that Mexico would have a hard time with crime issues. But, you know, if you look at needing $50,000, $100,000 a year engineers and getting pushed around 
around on immigration issues, that could really make a Canadian proposal shine. Yeah, uh, t- Toronto for sure was something that was thrown around. But, I, you know, the only thing there is I really just think, do you really want your workforce going back and forth and having those, you know, the visa issues, having the everybody has to go through immigrations every time? I'm not sure, but I, I think that's a great point. So let's turn over to Telecom Palooza. Sure. You know, this has been a really frequent theme for us. There was the theory, just to rewind, there was the theory at the beginning of the year that as soon as the FCC spectrum blackout period lifted, there was going to be this wave of mergers. I remember some people who thought like the FCC blackout was going to lift on Friday and on Monday, Sprint and T-Mobile were going to announce a merger. And so far, that theory has really been proven completely wrong. You know, there's there's been a lot of smoke. We've talked a good deal about a lot of the smoke on the podcast, but the really hasn't been any telecom or media deals of note aside from maybe the Discover Scripts deal announced earlier this year. But aside from that, there's nothing. So I wanted to turn it over to you, Chris. What do you think the holdups here? And do you think we are going to eventually see this telecom palooza? I don't know. I think that there are three big holdups that I've been looking at and thinking about. One is the lack of any sort of tax reform or visibility on tax reform kind of today. Mm -hmm. The Treasury Department kind of meekly was saying we'll get something done by year end, but they don't seem to have any of the puzzle pieces to a puzzle they're claiming they may be able to finish eventually. And I think tax reform is such a big one. And, you know, Emin, it's so funny. The stock markets kind of, you know, continues to race to record highs. And normally you think there'd be tons of M&A driving that. But M&A is actually well down this year. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to think it's because everybody's waiting. Hey, if we buy this company, how big a premium can we pay? Because this is going to be a 35% tax rate, a 20% tax rate, a 30%. Mm-hmm. It, it makes such a big difference. So I, I think that's spot on. And the second one is just the market testing of Telecom Palooza. I don't know how many, I don't know what number you have to strictly have to make a Palooza, but we're not there yet. Uh, it could be that there was some self-defeating aspect of this, that once uh, market prices really started to adjust, it made it more difficult to do deals that were reaches. I mean, I do think there have been conversations and companies that have been looked at, but the uh, market price moves have actually made it really tricky for a company to to bridge the bid-ask spread on valuation. Yeah, and look, this is one thing we've talked about before. You know, it, it can happen with companies that get mentioned frequently as deal targets. You know, one classic example is for years, everyone said, hey, Salesforce, they would be a perfect acquisition target for several big tech companies. But because everyone knew they were a perfect acquisition target, their stock always kind of traded expensively mm-hmm. and nobody could ever, they could never bridge that valuation gap. You know, Twitter last year, I think everybody thought they were a perfect acquisition target for several people. They traded with this big acquisition premium and nobody could kind of justify that. I think when you talk about the big acquisition premium, you specifically look at Sprint where several people have looked and said, hey, they've just got too much acquisition premium baked in there. There are other issues there, but one of them is nobody can kind of justify paying in a premium on top of that premium. Exactly. And then the third issue that I'd really bring up is regulatory continuity. I think that from a distance outside of Washington, you can kind of have hopes and expectations around changes in administration and personnel around things like antitrust. But the reality is at antitrust conferences in D.C., a lot of these people are bouncing back and forth from the same law firms, share a lot of philosophy and deals that have gotten blocked from the past have a really decent shot of not being approved it yet. Yeah, and this is, I think that's spot on. You know, everybody's thinking Sprint, T-Mobile, will they, won't they? The synergies are there, but would the government let them merge? You know, in 2014, famously, Sprint kind of said, hey, we're thinking about buying T-Mobile, and regulators were like, 
No, it will be blocked. And in that regard, you know, it was interesting. This morning, the FCC came out with a report that said for the first time since 2009, the wireless industry was, and this is a quote, it had effective competition in it. And it was very interesting because you saw half the people, it was almost like a Rosark test for if you thought Sprint and T-Mobile will go through. Half the people said... They think the industry is competitive. Sprint and T-Mobile can go through. And the other half of the people said, no, they think the industry is competitive now. Why the heck would they let a Sprint T-Mobile go through and kind of bring the big four down to a big three? My, my understanding uh, is that that is very consistent with the view of the Department of Justice folks, uh, specifically on the AT&T T-Mobile yep. block. Yep. But they feel very good about that, not just on four versus three, but four including a market pricing maverick. I mean, I would say that qualitatively and quantitatively, T-Mobile has done exactly what you mean by a pricing maverick. And they've really benefited customers uh, and customers have been impacted regardless of whose plan you have. Yeah. And then the other thing I think is AT&T Time Warner is still Mm -hmm. in the market. Everyone thinks that will get approved in the very near future. Yes. But that's still in the market. You know, I think people are waiting to see what regulators will and won't allow. AT&T Time Warner is probably the first step. Mm-hmm. Sprint T-Mobile, if it ever hit there, would be the second step. But they just want to see, hey, like how level is the playing field? If if AT&T Time Warner gets blocked, it, a lot of people are going to think that's political interference. Right. And they might really be scared to do big deals because they might think populist President Donald Trump won't let big companies merge because it, it makes for a good mark for him to kind of take a bite out of them. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting looking at the top layers of the political people in this administration. In a sense, I'm very grateful for this fact, but it seems to have very little relationship with the kind of more operational people making decisions one or two levels beneath and sort of comfortable with this funny paradox. At least, even as recently as today, the folks at AT&T are really preparing for this deal to be done and soon. And a lot of just the kind of uh, post-deal consummation activity, even right down to pricing packages and how they're going to treat a different uh, Time Warner assets, they're really moving forward. They think they have this deal done. And if they're right, it'll just be interesting. One more example, you see this in a lot of different areas of policy where senior people will kind of jawbone something and then the more junior people will make decisions that have nothing to do with it. Perfect, perfect. So why don't we wrap it up there? That's sure. all the time we have for today. Uh, just before we hit our disclosures, a quick reminder, if you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them, and there will be more now that uh, everyone's back in the office, is to uh, recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. A disclosure, Chris, I think the only thing we kind of mentioned is we are long time Warner and I think that's it. Anything else? I have nothing to add. Perfect. Talk to you guys soon.